do me a favour. If you are listening, please hit the subscribe button, like, share, rate, review the podcast. It really means more than you realise. I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. And that was the point for me when all the lights went off and we were plunging down and I was thinking, oh my God, we, you know, the possibility of us getting shot out of the sky. That for me was my, I shouldn't have done this moment. <laughs> all those sorts of things that you take for granted, like just walking down the street and feeling safe. Yeah. You know, you just don't even think about it until you come back from somewhere like that and you yeah. think gosh we are we have everything it's really interesting when you meet people and they're completely different to how you imagine they're going to be and they have you know so so many interesting stories to tell it's like when you're in a tube carriage and you look around and you just think every single person here has a huge life a universe of a life spinning around them that's just as big as mine and everybody like you say everybody has amazing stories to tell what's the most important attribute that a journalist can have and she actually said it's empathy and it's not perhaps the first attribute people would think is important but i actually think it probably is and it's what gets you the most amazing stories because the limo's never coming right so you need to get on that bus and get as far as you can on that first bus and then the next bus, and then the next bus, and eventually you'll get there. And that's the way to do it. Can you hear me okay? I I can, I can. How, How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? That's more to the point. You must be exhausted. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. The, vo- the voice is sticking with me. I've got uh, the, the, wow. the, lemon, yeah. the lemon and honey is still there. We're going, we're going okay. We're going okay. Okay, I'll do a lot of talking, okay? <laughs> Give you a break. Oh, yeah, you're, I guess, 22 of 24. So we're, we're, I'm nearly there. I feel like I'm in the, I'm in the final, final stretch. And it's, um, good amazing. for you. So, good for you. Um, listen, I'm so grateful for your time and, and, and jumping on this morning. It's, it's amazing and it's going to be great to have a chat with you. So if we can, we'll, get, we'll, we'll jump straight in if we can. Um, listen, we've You've had an amazing career across TV and radio for many years. Uh, was, it, was it always your ambition from a young age to, to, to follow that career path? Uh, no, I think is the answer to that. So when I went to university, I studied classics, which is Latin and ancient Greek and the literature in that those languages. And I did my dissertation all about ancient Greece and that kind of thing. And my ambition was to work at the British Museum, Uh, but it never happened. (laughs) So I I ended up one of the best things I ever did was a sectarial course. So I learned how to touch type um, and all that kind of thing. And I went to temp at a, a TV channel, and that's how I got into it, basically. Wow, wow. 
So it's because I've read on a thing about obviously you, you've got a passion for Italy and, and, and Greece as well, haven't you? And doing a lot of, I'm half Greek Cypriot, I got married in Italy, so similar, amazing places over there. Yeah, um, they're absolutely stunning. So, yeah, I mean, I think I've just had a lifelong love affair with both of those countries, and I like when I was really small, I really wanted to learn Italian. Um, and obviously I, I can't speak Greek, unfortunately, apart from tiny weeny bits, um, yeah. but I can read it because I, I can, you know, I used to be able to be able to translate the ancient Greek. I'm pretty rusty now, I have to say. Um, but yeah, I just, the culture is so incredibly rich and the countryside is so amazing. Uh, you know, I just remember that, so my dissertation was about Archelaus, who was Philip, uh, sorry, Alexander the Great's, um, Alexander the Great went to, um, he was basically in the Alexandrian Empire, and um, it was very much the north of Greece that I sort of travelled around, but I, so we, we travelled around Greece, we spent time in Thessaloniki, we, so lots and lots of wonderful places that aren't quite so on the beaten track and we go to Greece a lot last this summer we went to Rhodes we just love it both like you say Italy and Greece Cyprus and, and where I'm from just uh, the thing I love about I'm a big foodie so and growing up in a, a Greek household with, surrounded by food and 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 and, and I, I teach the kids there to cook Greek food as well we're growing up like, um, amazing I love, I love the culture. And there's so much is around, around family, around food, and and, and yeah. that community that that I love in, in both Italy and in, in Greece. I suppose it's, it's, it's an amazing space. I love it. Yeah, I I went to work in Italy when I was quite young, like mm. about nine, yeah, eighteen, nineteen, and I worked in a bakery in Calabria, which is oh, wow. the bottom of Italy, not particularly the nicest part very industrial and uh yeah they're hard workers so yeah. i worked in the front shop you know those kind of lovely italian um patisserias they've yeah. got loads of biscuits piled up i spent a lot of time spazzare lavare spazzare <laughs> lavare sweep then clean sweep then clean i still got that in my brain i'll never forget that but you know and then um we left, I, my boyfriend at the time uh, came down to meet me and we left and we pretty much made our way back up through Italy and then home through France and then home. But it's, you know, so lucky and so just love the culture. It's beautiful. How, really how, long did you collaborate? how long did you work in Calabria for? Oh, not long, probably like a month or something. Oh. You know, I was kind of just before I was just went to uni and yeah, it was quite hard work. And I remember Mark, my boyfriend at the time, did a couple of shifts in the bakery overnight. And the first time he walked out, the bakery was just head to toe, white from the flour. And it was hilarious. Oh my God, such hard work, really, really grueling, you know, but um, also brilliant fun. And we also did, we sold ice cream and there was this, you know, proper Italian ice cream. And there was this little guy who came in and he was so sweet. He came in every day for breakfast. And you would be, I would just be cramming as much as possible as I could onto this cone. He'd go <laughs> this huge cone like that. <laughs> people, people would come in, their attitude to ice cream is so different. So people would come in 
businessmen in their suits would come in for ice cream in a brioche for their for their <laughs> breakfast. You know, you'd never get that here because it's just much more free, and it's like you know, food is super important and fun, and you know, a part of a social. So yeah, it yeah. was it was quite an experience. Well, because my, my uncle actually got married in in Tropaya, which is in Calabria, so I've been there a few times. Oh wow, wow. That's probably the nicer part. <laughs> I was in Catanzaro, which is quite a big industrially place, but it was still great, you know, and the people were lovely. Awesome. Love it. I love it. But I wanna I wanted to talk about obviously you reported live from Afghanistan. Um can you share about what that experience was like? I mean, how, how do you prepare mentally for something like <laughs> I think when you're going somewhere like that, it's good to be a bit naive, <laughs> which is what I was. So when I first started working for GMTV, which uh, obviously is a national broadcaster as a reporter, it was all I ever wanted to do. It was a big ambition of mine and I was so thrilled and I was a young reporter and I was really keen. And most reporters are really keen to get out and do some foreign correspondence, um, mm -hmm. especially from a war zone. And I was out filming in London with a cameraman and he'd been out to um, Iraq, I think it was, or, or Afghanistan or both for ITN. And I'd said to him, wow, what's it like? It must be amazing, you're so lucky. And he said, there's always a point where you think to yourself, I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> and for me, that point came. So just because you fly there with the forces, it's a very different experience to, to flying normally. So you, first of all, you fly in your armored gear, your flak jacket and you know, your protection, though what protection that would give you, I do not know. Um, you get on the plane with all these soldiers going to fight in Afghanistan who aren't in, you know, who aren't thrilled at the prospect of having to go. Um, yeah. there's however many members of the press, which weren't that many. So we all squeezed onto this plane and do you think it's going to be super high tech? Great. It's just was like some <laughs> old easy jet plane that they'd commandeered anyway. So we get on and we fly off and then we get towards Kandahar and it's not, you know, when you go on holiday and then you kind of come in and then you stop, it's not like that <laughs> when you go to a war zone, you come in high. They turn off all the lights and you go down fast and wow. it was silence on that plane and that was the point for me when all the lights went off and we were plunging down and i was thinking oh my god we you know the possibility of us getting shot out of the sky that for me was my i shouldn't have done this moment <laughs> but yeah. funnily once we got there and i was on the ground the planes within afghanistan and the military presence there was much more reassuring. It felt very vulnerable in the sky. So I went to two different places. So Kandahar is mainly sort of an American base and it's huge. And we slept in kind of aircraft hangars with bunk beds, which is like, a, it felt like, you know, those big greenhouses where they hothouse plants. It was a bit like that. And so you kind of just sleep for a bit. People are constantly coming and going because they've got different, you know, they're going off to different places at different times. So you just kind of sleep when you can. And then when you get woken up, you move. <laughs> but these operations are 
big you know they've got great big canteens and all the rest of it and mm -hmm. in between Kandahar and um, Camp Bastion which is where I went to next we got a different plane I think it was a hurricane and um, that felt safer weirdly even though probably it was lower down it just felt more sophisticated as an aircraft <laughs> and so then we went into Camp Bastion and it was a real insight into how hard it is to be in the forces when you are quite an mm -hmm. independent person because you are basically being told what to do all the time and you have no control. And it's it's really hard. There's a lot of hurry up and wait. So you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And then you wait for three hours. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of checking and there's a lot of everything. And actually out there as a member of the press, I felt that not because they treated us second class, you just felt definitely not the same status as, yeah, as sure. the service men and women out there because obviously they're doing such an important job and so we I kind of tried within when I was with them to keep a fairly low profile having said that we all stayed in a press tent with the press um people within the army who were you know very you, I felt much more comfortable with is much more easy going rather than all these huge marines and stuff <laughs> <laughs> but everyone was lovely but I was the only female in this tent and I had like at the end I had like this bit with a curtain pulled across but you know it wasn't an issue but it was yeah it, the end of the couple of weeks we were there the tent was pretty grim uh, but yeah it was an interesting time certainly um, and yes we did a lot of live reporting live reporting every day um, you know you have a satellite truck there well a satellite I think they must have taken it out um, I think we were using the ITN satellite truck because they have these huge planes which take tanks, all that kind of stuff out. So it must have got on board one of those. So we were interviewing people on living on the camp, finding out what it was like, what operations were like. And yeah, before I went, I had to do a hostile environment training course, which obviously puts the fear of God into you because you're doing things like working out how to pick your way through a minefield which obviously we'd never had to do thank god but you know yeah. that sort of thing wow. but um yeah and then so i did a lot of live reporting which was great sort of connecting people with their families back because it was over christmas time and then we were trying to get home for christmas which was quite an epic journey and <laughs> we eventually got on a cargo plane and we slept on the floor of this cargo plane Back, we drove, we flew back to Turkey and then we stopped for a while. I just remember waiting in this kind of random storage room for, I think it was four hours. And then we got back on another plane. I can't remember what kind it was. And then finally we got back to Bryce Norton and that was just like, great. And the really big difference that I remember noticing when I got home and I still think about quite a lot is when you walk outside and it, smells the air here is so sweet and clean whereas yeah. out there it was very dusty and kind of dry and a lot of it was because there was you know there was constant noise planes helicopters kicking up the dust all the time and it felt it was felt difficult to breathe clean air and yeah. it, all those sort of things that you take for granted like just walking down the street and feeling safe yeah. you know you just don't even think about it until you come back from somewhere like that and you think gosh we are we have everything you know we really do um and nice to have 
a bed <laughs> and that sort of thing. But, you know, for me, it was a, a few weeks experience for the guys out there. It was really, really full on, you know, huge, massive, but a wonderful experience, really amazing. And any, was there any scary moments out there while, while you was there or where you was on camp, it was okay? Or... Yeah, it felt better on camp. I think the scariest was, like I say, going between and flying in and that that was the scary bit um and i think once. also because you get once you get in there and you become humans are so incredibly adaptable once yeah. you get into the routine of being there and everyone else is doing it you kind of just naturally chill out a bit even though it's dangerous it it feels normal quite quickly yeah. You know, and what they managed to set up in the camp is amazing. Yeah. So, but yes, so you do get used to it. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow. Look, look, move over to maybe the other side of uh, of reporting and, and and stuff. And with you know many celebrities that you've interviewed, obviously and reported on over the years. Can, yeah, I did read. I believe I read about a backstage tantrum from Kate Moss that you reported on once. Was there any other sort of outrageous stories or talk to me about that one? Do you know what? Well, in general, 99.9% .9 of the time, celebrities are lovely. They really are. They're, they're genuine. They're kind. They want to stop and talk. But they're kind of on a, you know, if you're doing a red carpet thing for a premiere, they have like one minute per person and you've got to get those those um, questions in as fast as you can. The GQ Awards, which is the thing you're talking about, I was backstage. So I just sat there interviewing people when they came on stage. <laughs> and so I, uh, I remember interviewing Dominic West. I remember interviewing Lily Allen, who was so nice, by the way. You know, she gets so much, so much flack. You, you, and you realize that, so the Kate Moss tantrum thing, uh, <laughs> she'd been, presenting a, an award and James Nesbitt, I think it was, had made, I don't, it's a while ago now, so I can't really remember the details, had kind of made a sort of cheeky comment, but it was, it really offended her. And she stormed off afterwards and she came backstage going, how beepy dare he, how beepy dare he. And, um, and with, in retrospect, you know, the world has moved on since then and chances are if he said what he said then now people wouldn't laugh and actually you know you, you sort of start to think especially as a more grown-up woman <laughs> yeah, 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 those kind of comments actually aren't okay so yeah. you know in in actual fact she probably was well within her rights to feel a bit hacked off yeah. um i remember so it's not only sort of award ceremonies and that kind of thing where you're hello <laughs> sorry my husband hit that very late work trip last night so now he's going to get some coffee um he um so i remember interviewing people at downing street which was a amazing experience going into downing street this is when gordon brown was prime minister and his wife sarah i think um was very big on supporting British fashion. And she hosted a lot of 
sort of because it's a huge industry provides so much wealth for the UK it's massive and hugely under undervalued in that way you know it's seen as a sort of flippant silly business silly industry but it's not it is worth billions you know and she had a lot of big industry players round and she also had Naomi Campbell who I interviewed and she of all the people I've ever interviewed was the most incredibly beautiful to the point where you're just like wow I can't yeah. I can't stop looking at you I can't stop looking at you her <laughs> eyes were like you know like amber that in Jurassic Park the mosquitoes <laughs> got trapped in they were just the most amazing color and she's another person I think who gets a bad press unnecessarily she was incredibly articulate incredibly passionate and wise about the industry generous with her time and just a lovely person and ironically a few years later not that long later i was sent to the hague to report on do you remember she was part of that diamond trial that she um, was given some diamonds by someone and they were not fair trade diamonds i think and it was not her trial but she was called as a witness and she did not want to be there but funny how I ended up reporting on that from The Hague like a couple of years later. But no, she was fantastic. I thought she was great. There were very few people who I've interviewed who I didn't really like. Oh, I remember yeah. once we went to another story I did. I went to the Moet and Shondon. Um, it was some party thing. I can't remember. It is not as glamorous as it sounds because <laughs> all the celebrities were coming in. And we got stuck outside in the freezing cold rain, um, <laughs> trying to interview them as they went in. And Scarlett Johansson was there. And I remember you had literally 10 seconds to say something. And I, I, oh, I still cringe. And I think I was like, what are you wearing? And I was just like, why did I say that? Why did I, I just, was, it was just such, and she looked at me like, what am I wearing? You know, like that's the best you can come up with. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, she answered nicely and then in she went. But um, I don't know whether you've ever heard of him. You may not, but there's a, um, he was very big, I think probably in the early noughties, um, fashion designer called Roland Mouret. And he, <laughs> there he is again. He um, created these lovely dresses, which are very flattering, Ro Roland Mouret. And he had been invited to this party and he was, he's very handsome and suave and looked amazing. And he came, he, we interviewed him and then he, he came back out with a tray of champagne for all the pat, sad little bedraggled press people <laughs> huddling outside in the freezing cold. And there were a lot of models there. Erin um, O'Connor, she was lovely, very tall and great to chat to. Just, it's really interesting when you meet people and they're completely different to how you imagine they're going to be. And they have, you know, so, so many interesting stories to tell. But often as a, so my job is kind of divided at the moment between going out and reporting for the politics show and news reading. So yeah. news reading is, is very much, you go to the studio, you put the bulletin together and you read the news and you edit it and make sure that it's written in a way that you're happy with, you make sure it times properly and all that jazz and it's great and you present and you're in the studio and you're always warm and never getting rained on uh, when you're out um but the bonus of being out i hate the driving and i hate driving and a lot of it is driving it's less now that i'm 
based in the southeast rather than network that was a lot of driving um but you meet so many amazing people and people who contribute so much to their local community or to the world in general or people with incredible stories who are dealing with more than you can imagine on a daily basis and it's a really good reality check <laughs> and you know puts your life in perspective so for example the other day we filmed in Gillingham and we'd set up the story about a food bank there and I've been to food banks before they tend to be a couple of rooms in the back of a church or a church hall or a community hall the people who run it are amazing and fantastic and they you know put all their time they volunteer for nothing this um food bank was set up by a guy who moved to Gillingham I can't remember where from and he had been sort of stunned by the amount of homeless people in Gillingham and so he started going around with a rucksack of food on his back and just giving it out to homeless people and then it kind of progressed a bit people started giving him donations he spoke to you know the supermarkets and they started giving him food so he found somewhere and then he found somewhere else and then he found the place where we went to speak to him and I walked in and it was an enormous warehouse and and it was shocking to be honest that there was the need for such an amount of food and clothing and products. And it it just really took me aback. Because like I say, I've seen food banks before, but this was on another scale. And there it was full of volunteers. And he had been doing it for years. And I think he was only just starting to get a wage for it from the council. Because basically it's a professional operation now that he's set up from scratch. And you just kind of think, why is there such a disconnect between what's needed um, and the people who should be providing that rather than volunteers having to sort that out? And that so often is something that I come across in my reports. And I find that really is, is hard. And yeah. it, it's on one level, it's amazing because there are these people stepping up to do it. But on another level, it's like they shouldn't have to. Yeah. You shouldn't have to have the equivalent of another citizen's advice bureau in a food <laughs> bank where they're helping people understand how they can get their help for energy when they're living on, you know, peanuts. So yeah. it's it's really, really interesting how and often it's the people with the least who are helping people with the least you know and it's yeah it is really really humbling to be honest and also anger making but that nothing i mean the thing is with politics as well is that whatever government it is whoever's in power there are always people who are genuinely trying to make a difference and policies that really are helping but mm. then there are policies that aren't and mm. then there are you know reasons why things never happen and it kind of just rumbles on and on and on and it's such a difficult creaking old system that it can feel very disheartening sometimes i mean i worked the whole way through covid both going into the studio and going out reporting and i have to say emotionally that was quite a hard time because 
especially, I mean, we all forget now, right back at the beginning, we were all thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to get COVID. And, and it, was scary, it was a scary time for everyone, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was really hard. And when you're out all the time, meet, you know, filming all the time, going into these situations, going into work all the time, you're, you know, you're, you're conscious of that on your own personal level. But then you're also meeting people who have been floored in whatever way by covid whether their business has completely gone down the tubes whether they've lost a relative whether the, whether they're you know completely in fear for the future you know so that was really hard you know that was hard and yeah. uh, you know trying to homeschool um was, yeah, that, that was never uh, again. I've spoken about that quite a bit on the podcast, talking to different people and talk, you know, COVID come up obviously in, in the conversations as they do on most podcasts and, and they, um, and yeah, we spoke about homeschooling a bit and yeah, it was realised I'm definitely not a teacher. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, big kudos to those teachers, but even my teacher friends were like homeschooling surrenders, unless <laughs> you are one of those incredible people who go, do you know what, I would like to homeschool and that is best for my child, of yeah. which there are some people and they make it work brilliantly. Yeah. That is not me. That is not <laughs> me, especially if you've got more than one child and they have yeah. different syllabuses. You know, yeah. I was trying to get my eldest to do a poem about a snow leopard. The other one was having to drop things off the sofa and, you know, see their velocity. I was just, oh my God, give me strength. You know? And like, I think many other women in my position, the husband disappeared upstairs to the loft, blah, 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 on his computer from nine till six, didn't see him, you know, and I'm doing everything downstairs with the sodding homeschooling. So there were a couple of days where I was like, I'm going out. I'm going out and I'm not coming back until I've done a walk. <laughs> but, yeah, those days are over, thank God. Because um, obviously the business I run, I had a podcast at the time and I had a launch. So one of my other businesses that I run is was an events company. So we do five-a-side football and golf and pool, like networking through sport. So that completely stopped. My wife's a criminal solicitor, so she was working full-time. So it was, the roles were reversed and I was yeah. No, I'm, I'm not the most academic, I'm not going to lie. And I really, I was like, oh, if I could get them to do one thing, they're, they're twins, I've got twins, so uh, they was only in reception, so I had a minimal amount to do. But this, so the first lockdown, I've done most of it. They learned how to cook Greek food, so I, I think I was winning. That's but they, good. They, so we're, we're doing okay. But then when my wife done it, she's just a solicitor and she's organised. She was like, she had spreadsheets and she had the board up. Sits and back afterwards, gets a gets an email from the school saying they've come on so well since, since uh, over 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 lockdown. I'm like, oh, wow! Get that email when I when they went back after the first lockdown. Why, why is that? But yeah. they can, you know. But yeah, my wife was uh, she was on it and she dealt with it that way. But I was I was the other side and look, just get if I could get them to do one thing that day, it was I, I was winning. Well, it was difficult, wasn't it? You, I think. Uh we all got to a stage where we thought that we need to decide what's best <laughs> for everyone's mental health and yeah. our family relationships. Yeah. And in the end, I was like, do you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just We're not right. anymore. <laughs> you know, by summer half term, I was like, right, no more, no more. Let's just go out and do walks. And, you know, and had, it was we fun. We a lovely summer, didn't we? Like that. So yeah, that we was did. the same. 
you know what? We've never done so many walks and aren't we lucky here in Sussex, you know, that we can do that and we have that opportunity. So, yeah, again, you know, filming with a lot of people who didn't have that as an option. It's just, that was really tough. But, um, yeah, so it's it's very, you never know, every day is very different and doing yeah. things differently. And another one thing about the job in general is that once it's done, it's done. You don't have a kind of hangover of projects that go on for months and months. It tends to be, you know, one thing a week or one thing per day, or, you know, you do your job and then you go and that works for me. I, I you know, I like to kind of get it all done and I don't I love, mind working with deadline, that kind of thing. I love, I love listening to, as you talk, like my, my, my main take, I've, I've been doing, I've done nearly 50 episodes of the podcast now and then obviously 24 in the, the last day, but I, um, my, my tagline for the podcast is everyone has a story to tell and listening to oh, you talk God, yeah. and, and, mm -hmm. and that's what I find fascinating. Like listening to you, to you, you talking, saying about going out and the different experiences, different people you spoke to and, and interviewed and, and no matter who they are, what they are, everyone's got that story to tell. And it's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating to hear those stories. Huh? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really keen. This is more of a, I guess a, a personal one for me, but, could, could could you give me some top tips for conducting a great interview? Well, I think the biggest one, and I think you're very good at it, is to really listen. So often when people are um, new reporters, they obviously you have a set of questions you want to get through. But unless you're listening to the person, and I know it sounds very basic, but unless you're listening to what the person's actually replying, you miss the best bits. Mm. So when you ask your initial question, people always say to me, what questions are you going to ask me? And I sort of go, well, I'll probably be asking you about X, Y, Z. Um, mm. Because I never go with the prepared list of questions. I just go and I ask them the first question and then what they say in their first answer prompts another question and then another question and then another question and because you're listening to them that's how you get the best out of them and I learned that the hard way because my very first ever job was a fashion show above a charity shop um, in aid of breast cancer and the woman said to me please can you send me a list of questions in advance and I did and so when I interviewed her, every single question she had learned off by heart, and it sounded really unnatural. And so I never, ever do that anymore. I never, ever send a list of questions. And I know you sent me a list of questions, which was really nice. <laughs> yeah. But I personally would never do that because people okay. do try and go and learn things off by heart, off by rote. And actually when you're interviewing people they're already an expert in their own field you're not yeah. interviewing them for things they don't know about and i often say to them look it's it's easier for me because it's a, a lot of it's pre-recorded and so you know that i don't have to use all of it but i say to them look it's my job to make you look good you don't need to worry about it that's my job okay yeah. so just relax and just try and answer the questions. It's just like a chat that we would be having on the phone. And yeah. obviously I've got a cameraman there and I, I always enjoy saying, just ignore Dave and look at me. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so that, and it's it's hard for people you know and as a reporter you kind of forget you've got this great big camera in someone's face you know and it, it feels weird but it's usually by the second or third question they've warmed up and they have forgotten about the camera a bit and that's when you get into those sort of conversations and often it's not that killer question that you think you've got in your brain that prompts the really good answer sometimes it's even your rubbish questions that prompts yeah. the best answer sometimes you're thinking gosh there was something I really did need to ask here. I should have probably written it down. Um, and while you're trying to grapple for that question in your uh, brain, you say something slightly innocuous, like, yes, well, blah, blah, blah. And then this stunning question answer comes out because there's no, it's not the pressure on them and they're just chatting to you and, and they are the expert in their field. You know, if you're talking to, yes, uh, uh, on Wednesday, I was filming in a care home so we're talking about the rising cost of everything and you can imagine the impact on care homes and we were talking to the manager of the care home and often people will say oh i'm not going to be very good i'm a bit worried and you know they'll be fine and i'm like it's okay you'll be fine and you start talking and out comes this just amazing list of stuff that you have never crossed your mind and she's talking about when someone's in adult social care, so she's talking about older people, um, it's, it's, there's this huge misconception that it's just get them out of bed, uh, give them some food, sit them in a chair, and then put them back to bed again. It's not like that. You need, in order for older people to thrive and survive brilliantly, they need stimulation, they need activities, they need talking to they need care they need moving around they need animals and you know and all that stuff takes extra brain power now if you are um thinking oh my god we're not going to be able to afford the heating and the 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 cooking and all, all the bills are getting higher and higher i can't possibly charge my clients more it's really expensive anyway you know it's it's incredible pressure for these people huge pressure yeah. and uh, you know, just interesting things like if you're a council funded, everyone is stretched. So the pr people playing, paying privately, it costs a bomb. The people paying council funded, it costs the council's money, but the care homes don't get as much money for those people. So naturally, care homes are going to start to think, do I want to take council funded people? And also yeah. the privately paying people are subsidizing the council funded people. The councils are saying we don't have enough money already um, and we might have to cut back on services unless we get more government funding. The government is saying we don't have enough money. You know, it's it's just like this huge big cycle of stuff and it's always the humans at the end of it that I usually speak to. And it's really yeah. eye-opening on a, on a weekly, daily basis of what it's like when you're in a tube carriage and you look around and you just think every single person here has a huge life, a universe of a life spinning around them that's just as big as mine, you know, and and it's just it's mind blowing, really, <laughs> if you start thinking about it too much. Yeah, it's and everybody, like you say, everybody has amazing stories to tell, amazing, stories. you know, in that care home. Um, 
Dave was doing some filming because we were only allowed to film some people. So I was just chatting to a couple of other people and a couple of other guys sitting on a sofa and they were so sweet. And um, he, one of the blokes said to me, are you a big film director then? And I said, no, sorry, I'm just a reporter. He went, oh, that's no good. And I was like, oh, were you in showbiz then? And he went, yes, I was. I was a stand-up comedian and I did loads of panto. And so I had this huge conversation with him about how he was Widow Twanky and he was something else, Dane Slap-a-Lot or something, and how he did stand-up. And he was hilarious, you know. And you get all these really interesting stories from people just by going out and visiting them. And it's so it's such a worthwhile and fulfilling job in that way because you meet so many amazing people. And I think quite possibly I am more open to talking to people in general in life, you know, just like on the bus or whatever, in taxis and things. And I just, yeah, it's people are very interesting and it's people always need the benefit of the doubt, I would say, you know, if people are rude to you or grumpy or beat their car horn at you, it's probably because they've had something happen. You know, yeah. either that moment or that day or they're under immense pressure or you know what it's like. Everyone has those days yeah. where they just think, of course we do. Oh my God. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, you say about that, are you, are you naturally then just quite, quite a curious person? Like, yeah, the... nosy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> curious. Yes, I, I, I like to... I yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm that... very, I, I think I kind of like, I think I'm interested. I think I am a bit nosy. Yeah, I like to know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess like, what what an attribute to have as a reporter, because you've got to be having it. Like, it, was, it was really interesting to hear you say about the the questions, because I always people every time someone comes on the podcast, they always they always say to me, oh, "Can you send me the questions? Can you send me the questions?" And I, I only ever send them literally the day before or that mm. morning coming in just so that they haven't and i always say to them that no, i'm only going to send them to the end because i don't want you to prepare too much yeah. and, some, and some people will come in and they they're a bit nervous and I, and actually i always say they were god we're we're, we're start talking but you're exactly right like ultimately anytime i've done a podcast it's rare that actually you go for all the questions because you do start that conversation and it goes off yeah. like a tangent and and i guess like you say being curious and interested in what that person's saying, that's what creates the, I guess, it's, for, for me, all the different businesses I run, without a doubt, this is the most fulfilling thing. I, I absolutely love it. I find it fascinating. Yeah. And just like I say, the, the amazing people I get to speak to get to come on and share their story and their journey. And it just it fascinates me. And I'm, I'm assuming yeah. like this is talk that you, you obviously get that fulfillment from, from your job as well. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, some like I say, some days are harder than others. Like when you're some some of the news reading days can be hard. Um, you know, especially being a parent and some of the news stories are pretty horrific and and you just start thinking, gosh, you know, and um yeah, so that can be quite hard. Yeah. But I think you need to kind of be able to feel like what you're doing is worthwhile as well so i mean it's it's quite a particular skill to get convince people to open their hearts to you 
for no money, you know, and just because. Um, yeah. And I think anyone who does that is so admirable and there's always a reason for it. It is mm. because they want not only their own stories heard, but they want other people to understand that they're not alone. And I think that is really powerful. And I often stories that I do because I need to be balanced, you can understand both sides and mm -hmm. having, you know, I remember seeing this, uh, I think it was a tweet and um, it was, what's the most important attribute that a journalist can have? And she actually said, it's empathy. And it's not perhaps the first attribute people would think is important, but I actually think it probably is. And it, it's what gets you the most amazing stories. So for example, we were at this care home on Wednesday and we were speaking to one of the residents who was 90 and just chatting and I was like, oh, what's it like here? And and he liked it, but he, I said, what prompted you to move here? And unfolded this story that he'd been in another care home who had suddenly shot the prices up. I mean, hugely to the point where his family were like, I don't think you should have to be paying that, that is outrageous. And you just think, oh my goodness, you know, yeah. uh, it's so stories do, come out when you're listening basically yeah. <laughs> and um yeah and pe like i say people never cease to amaze surprise and delight me really love it love it well, look, i'm sure you get asked this maybe quite a bit but oh, i'm gonna chuck this one in there so if you could interview anyone in history who would it be and why gosh there are so many people that are amazing. I don't know. Um, as a classicist, I think I would love to interview, you know, one of the big philosophers, Plato, or maybe Cicero would be amazing. You know, what a life. Alexander the Great, you know, you think about everything he'd done by the age of 30. I think he died when he was 35. <laughs> uh, we were doing, my kids were doing the Tudors uh, recently. And, um, you know, the last wife, you, as a child, you always thought of her as the kind of old fat one. <laughs> she died when she was 36. <laughs> and you think, oh my God, you know, you, you sort of need more of a grown up eye to look at these things. And it just imagine surviving, imagine the court, the, the stress of it and the kind of crazy politics. I mean, there's just, there are just so many people. It'd be so difficult to narrow it down. Well, I'm so difficult. Tell, tell me, we're going to come just towards the end. We've got a quick fire questions I've asked everyone. But before we do that, tell me, what, what, what does the future hold for, for you? Well, really, and I've been very not, haven't done it. I just vaguely thought about it, is I would like to do something that's like an online provision. So you can just click on it and have it. And it's sort of like bite size chunks of helpful information. So for example, um, how effective communicating, you know, tips from a broadcaster of how to make your business better at communicating or, 
what sort of how can you identify your target audience this is how we do it in broadcasting you know it's really you know every station you're on you're speaking to a different audience every time slot you're on you're speaking to a different audience you need to you're always thinking about who is this for and i think that can translate into who is my customer and there are some quite interesting ways of finding out who that customer might be and trying to think like them but also you know things like how do i get my first start in tv um how do i conduct a good interview you know all those sorts of things you know tips for sounding confident when you're public speaking or when you're you've got to give a presentation all those sort of things at some stage <laughs> i i want to do as a sort of online not exactly a course but mm -hmm. sort of you know you can say that's that sounds good i'd quite like to learn more about that click mm -hmm. on it costs a fiver doesn't cost a bomb but you know is easy to understand and digest and i've done a few sort of workshops in yeah. that area and they were really fun and um i think i would like to do more of that because i just think it's it's diversifying that's that's the word and i'm not you know i feel like i've really enjoy my career but i feel like i'm at the place where I'm happy with what I do. I don't feel like I need to do any more. You know, I've I've presented the news on national TV. I've reported from Afghanistan. I've, I've filmed in New York, you know, I've done all that. Wow. And now it's more about a balance. You know, before I, and it's, it's hard because I, I would never want anyone to say, to, to take a, their career to take a back seat because they have children but I think you get to a level where with children you're thinking I want more of a balance I want it to be able to work I want to be able to be there for them because for me at this stage that is more important I mean I'm a, I had a boss once uh, not where I am currently working I have to say who was really awful and she she was kind of like you've got to be doing this and this and if I call you to do this you've got to do this and I, I had to explain to her, look, work is really an important part of my life, but it's not my whole life. You do understand that, right? <laughs> and yeah. she, she just didn't really get it. Um, so I left. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's and, and I think women are coming up a, a, against that a lot. There is movement, but it's yeah. hard fought, very hard fought and uh, still very difficult, I think, for, for yeah. women and mothers in, in the workplace. But I think you you had another guest. I saw a snippet of her while I was waiting to come on. I thought, yeah, you, you've you've done that. You've covered that brilliantly. I don't need to add to that. Yeah, she, yeah, she was. Yeah, Mo, Mo, she she was great with what she's space and what they're trying to do in all about diversity and inclusion. And, um, mm. so in the workplace is it's, it's, it's fascinating. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, look, I, I'd be if if you do ever go down that route, please give me a call. We've got a community, a massive readership of people that that type of knowledge would be gold for us with the broadcasting. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I just need to pull my finger out and do it. The no, problem we're is, because I'm sure you're aware that when you're, or, so I kind of work two jobs already. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I do my Monday to Friday politics and then I do extra news reading on top of that. So finding the time is always a bit hard, but you know, you can always find the time. You can always find the time. I just need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you're ready. We'll, we'll grab that coffee when you're ready. You let, you let me know.
That would be amazing. Thank you. Nice. Well, look, we're gonna we're gonna finish up our quick fire questions. I've asked everyone, so we're gonna we're cool. going. What's one piece of advice do you give to your eighteen-year-old self? Um, God, sorry, I should have looked at the questions before properly. <laughs> I think try not to worry so much about what other people think, because actually they're really thinking about themselves mostly. That you know, not in a selfish way, but they're mostly concerned about their own selves. So just don't worry so much. That would be my number one. Don't waste your time worrying so much. Who has been the biggest inspiration for you throughout your life and why? Um, Kate Aidy was a massive inspiration for me. Um, she was a very famous uh, foreign correspondent, reported from a lot. She was doing it as a female, as a woman, I should say, sorry, before, way before anyone else. And she, when I graduated from Falmouth College of Arts, as it was there, where I did my postgraduate diploma in broadcast journalism, which is such a mouthful, <laughs> she came to give the awards out. And she gave such brilliant advice. Okay, so she said, nothing you have done in your life is a waste. Everything has given you experience. And throughout my career, there have been peaks and troughs and lulls. And I'm sort of thinking, oh my God, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. You know, you're so kind of like desperately clawing and ambitious and all that. But all the times, now I look back and I can see what she means. All those times when I was doing something that wasn't quite where I wanted to be, still armed me with the skills that I need now and that I needed to progress. And learning all those things in an environment where I wasn't under pressure or particularly in the spotlight was really important and the other really really important thing she said to me which i think a lot of people are missing nowadays is that it's not a direct route to get to where you want to go and she gave this analogy of if you're standing at the bus stop in i'll localize it if you're standing in the bus stop in new haven and you want to get to Brighton, you don't stand there and watch the number 12 go by and watch the number 18 go by, or I don't know if the 18 does go to Brighton, and uh, even though there are seats on it, uh, even if the 18 went to Peacehaven and then stopped and you had to change and get on another bus and then you got to Rottingdean and you had to change again, you do that to get to Brighton. You wouldn't sit at the bus stop saying, oh, I'm not getting the bus. I'm waiting for the limo to take me from A to B because the limo's never coming, right? So you need to get on that bus and get as far as you can on that first bus and then the next bus and then the next bus and eventually you'll get there. And that's the way to do it. Love that. Love that. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. And that is something that I really took on board and something that I is the piece of advice I always give to people. And be keen and go up to people and and ask people i have people who so i used to teach uh, sorry i don't know if i'm running over time here i used to teach um journalism at uh sussex uni um for a year or so um the the ma there and i actually stopped because i found that the students just weren't interested you know they they didn't turn up they weren't interested they just didn't apply themselves they didn't really listen some of them did but very few um because they were just 
I don't know. I don't know why, really. Um, but on the flip side of that, I have worked with so many amazing work experience people who have literally approached me cold. I was at the opening of the i360 and this girl came up to me and she went, I really admire you and your career. And I was wondering if there's anything you could do to help me. People have approached me on Instagram and I always reply and I always help. And you would be amazed by people who do help you because people who do want to help, you know, and they will do their best to give you advice and support you and mentor you um, because it's important. And it's important we have new people. And Holly, who that was, now works um, for Talk TV. And she works with someone randomly who I used to co-present with. And she's amazing. She's a really high up producer now. She's well, and she didn't have any A-levels and she was worried about it. And, I, and I, I'm sure I told her the bus story. And she's <laughs> done exactly that. She's taken the bus every step of the way. And she's amazing. I'm so proud of her so proud you know yeah. and and any time i get a chance to help someone like that i love doing it and i think people think that people won't be interested and they are whatever field you're in i remember james o'brien who's a big noise on lbc um gave a talk once and he said i used to be the showbiz ent uh editor for the sun guess how many letters i got in a year asking me for work experience and help I'll ask you, how many do you think he got in a year? Hundreds. One. He got one letter reaching out to him saying, I really admire what you do. It's what I'd really like to do. Do you have any advice? Do you have any tips? People don't do that and, and because they're scared. And I understand it feels scary, but you've just got to think to yourself, what's the worst that can happen? That's how I got to GMTV. I picked up the phone and I said, I'm working at ITV Meridian, but I've always wanted to work at GMTV. It's my dream job. And he said, okay, then come in, we'll meet you and see how it goes. You know, and I was absolutely killing myself with nerves on that phone call. You know, it's one of those ones where you put the phone down and you're like, uh, you know, but unless you do it and, and you know, you're never going to get what you want. You've, you've got to ask. I'm, I'm, I'm such an advocate for that. I've always been of the yeah. opinion that you don't ask, you don't get. Like, so yeah. even, even for me, for the 24-hour I, I the reason I started the podcast was because I, I listened to the high-performance one with Jay Humphrey and Damien Hughes, which is fascinating, and that's what inspired me to do this. So I reached out to them to say, can you come on the podcast? And they was like, no, we can't. But from asking yeah. that question, I got, I got invited to go on the High Performance Podcast as a listener guest. Amazing. Yeah. They interviewed me for like five, 10 minutes. Should be coming out next week, I think. But it was just uh, that opportunity just by, you asked the question, audit, what's the worst? Like you said, the worst they're going to say is, no, we can't do it. Ignore me, yeah. don't, whatever that looks like. But they did come back. There was a response and I ended up, the podcast that inspired me to start this one. I'm then on it only a yeah. couple of weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a massive, massive advocate for that. I think don't ask, you don't get. You've got, got to ask the question, but people don't. No, and, and people are scared, and I do understand that. But I'm at the point now where I'll phone pretty much anyone. I have pretty much no shame. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over that. I'm super over that. I've phoned so many people. Well, listen, last, last two questions we're going to go. Could, could you recommend a book or a podcast 
to our listeners has had an impact on you? A book I really loved was A Secret History by Donna Tart. I mean, it is, it isn't like a self-help book or anything like that. It is a thriller, um, but it just really sort of hit a nerve, not hit a nerve, but uh, resonated with me. And her writing is amazing and it's really immersive. And, you know, I think that's a great book. And another book, which is a really good book, is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And that is a really, you know, when you're trying to, I don't know how old your children are. Seven. Okay, fine. So say you're trying to uh, to get, are they boy and girl or boys yeah, or girls? Boy, or? Yeah, boy and girl. But boy and girl. Okay, so you got both. Um, yeah. But this is this is this transverses any gender when you're trying to get them to put their shoes on, right? <laughs> <laughs> or trying to get them to get out of the house. It's tips. It's it's not even tips. It's why they don't listen and how they might listen better. And as they get older, the such an important thing is that they talk to you all the time and because it makes them more resilient in so many ways safer um happier able to sort of decompress after their school day and that starts really early i mean you have to sit there listening to well she said this to me in the playground and then i couldn't have the ball and blah 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 blah, 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 blah. but it's really important that you sit there and listen to it because later when they're 11 and they're saying well, so-and-so said this to me in the playground and I felt this and I didn't, you know, they're still telling you. And that's, it's just as long as they're talking to you is the really most important bit. So for me, that book was so helpful. And there are so many self-help books out there that are lots and lots of anecdotal evidence and very boring and heavy to get through. And I find them horrific. This is actually really helpful on all those sort of levels of, why my child doesn't co how to engage cooperation is one of the chapters and yeah. it's really helpful it is actually really helpful even this morning i used one on my nine-year-old you know to get her she poor thing she's a night owl my eldest is a um a lark like me i get up early and she gets up early she's always up by half five six which is fine with me because so am i but yeah. my youngest is a night owl she would much rather sleep till like eight 8.30, okay? And it used to kind of be like, come on, up you go. But then I thought, do you know what? She's just most productive at a different time of day. And that's also fine. And when she's older, you know, I used to live with someone who did all their best work late at night and she got first. So yeah. I, it, it helped change my thinking on it. But getting her out of bed this morning, I used her favorite <laughs> toy and it was like silly voices. And instead of kind of, it feels like it takes longer than just saying, come on, get out of bed, blah, blah, blah. But actually it doesn't because if you, she doesn't like being challenged, you know, who does, who likes being told what to do, no, you know, especially if you're fast asleep and you'd rather still be asleep, you know, you respond much better to a monkey that's, you know, dancing Donald wears your trousers on your tummy, <laughs> you know, at half past seven. Well, actually it was more like half past six. Um, and tempting you to get out of bed and saying that I'm hungry, monkey's hungry, can I have some watermelon, please? And out she got. And it was actually so easy. It feels like more effort, and yes, it is more effort than going, 
please get out of bed and put your socks on, you know, but actually it really does work. And there are lots of really useful little tips like that in there. I so that. I would say that's a really good book for any parents out there. <laughs> that is 100% on the list. My, my wife's going to love it as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm 100%. Yeah, it's a good book. And it helps you understand what, where they are and how they feel. And, you know, it's, it's, and I was thinking something about my child the other day. And then I was thinking, well, hang on a minute. I'm now a grown up person who's been through loads and I'm so much more mellow than I was as a teenager. You know, I was like, no, I know everything I know best. Off I go. And everyone can just, you know, have their own opinion. And when I get a bit of that back from my nine-year-old, I'm thinking, well, why doesn't she listen to me? I'm sensible. I know what I'm talking about. But actually, I'm like, well, I was just like that. Why would I, why don't I have that? You know, I need to have that empathy and, and you know, come at it from how she's feeling as well. And and a lot of that is in the book as, as well. Amazing. Amazing. It's on the list. I'll definitely get it. <laughs> final, final, final one. We're going to finish up. What is what is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? I think try not to put yourself bottom of the list um, because you can't pour from an empty pot, right? And if you are, the times when I've been most awful <laughs> is when I've pushed myself to my limit you know I've had a long day at work then I've come home and I'm like oh my god but the kids have to eat you know something really healthy because they only had this at lunch and there must be vegetables and they must have protein and god I haven't changed their sheets for ages and oh but I need to do the I must go through all the insurance and make sure we've got the cheapest best deal and and that's when something happens and I lose my temper or, you know, and actually everyone would have been happier and better off if I'd just gone, do you know what? Put doing the sheets today is going to push me over the edge. I'm going to leave it for another day and everyone will be happier. So I would say that's, I mean, I've got loads of things. I better stop talking, but that one, <laughs> communicate with people, talk to your husband, talk to your children, talk to them. And expectations so within that make sure your expectations meet that of the people you're around because that is where the most conflict happens when you're expecting things to go a certain way they're expecting things to go a certain way and they don't happen and then you're both annoyed with each other or making sure you're expect communicating your expectations to people and understanding theirs is super helpful for everyone being happy <laughs> love that love that what's the listen your cool voice oh my god it's nearly there it's nearly there oh, two more to go i'm okay but I, I, and listen, you've got donna haven't you who's amazing donna, yeah. she's fantastic. she's the it was a great one i've got actually my next guest is um the the founder of the agora clinic so obviously we had the twins through ivf oh, at the oh, agora i didn't know that wow yeah she's coming on now and then Donna to finish off so yeah a couple of really great conversations I'm sure but it's, I'm so so grateful for your time and, and jumping on this morning and it's been absolutely fascinating chatting to you I really really appreciate it so thank you I'm really grateful it's been brilliant it's absolutely my pleasure and well done you you're doing such a brilliant thing and I know you do loads for Rocking Horse which obviously is a really uh you know a cause that's really 
close to my heart and um, work with very closely and they are amazing, just amazing. And I know you love them to bits, as do I. And um, you'll get loads of really brilliant info from Donna. I had a quick coffee with her earlier this week and they're doing so many amazing, exciting things and yeah, getting people to be on board and come along to all the exciting events is um, is is definitely going to be on my list of things to do this for the rest of the year. Amazing. Listen, thanks again. Uh, have a great rest of the day and uh, look, keep me posted about that next venture because uh, I'd love I to I will. Chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say goodbye and thank you very much. And you do not have to say another word. Okay, rest that voice until your next guest. So I will say goodbye from the 24-hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye. <laughs> I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films.